It's a part two. Last week, um, we, we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan and how the Good Samaritan was Jesus. He, he, was, he was despised by man and yet gave up everything for the broken man on the side of the road and the Levite and the priest that go on the other side because they really can't do anything to help broken man. Broken man without Christ stays broke. But with Jesus Christ, putting him on his own donkey, bringing him to God, bringing him to the innkeeper, and then paying the denarii, the two, because on the third day he was going to rise and pay everything else that he owed. Everything, all sin, all brokenness, all death, paid for by Jesus Christ. That was a parable to explain to the lawyer, the expert in the law, how do I live forever? And Jesus gave him this example. So a parable to explain a reality. But now we're going to go into the Old Testament, find Jesus in the Old Testament. We're going to go to Ruth. And I only covered 12 verses last week, and I'm going to cover 80 this week. Now, I know some of you are a little nervous, a little itchy. Oh, I picked today. It's okay. I'm not, I'm not, going, to, I'm not going to do it like as slowly as that. We're going we're gonna to blow through some sections and really then zero in on some sections. It's all right. We'll do it like that. There's so much more here we could, we could, we could cover, but we're going to do it like that. The parable was designed to show the reality. But now we're going to go to a reality that will explain that parable. We're going to turn it around. And this one to me is even more powerful, and I'll tell you why. Not that one is more important than the other, but it's more powerful in the sense that these are real lives. Ruth is a real person. She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ, and she's one of five women who are listed in Matthew as in the lineage of Jesus Christ when they would normally just mention men in a Jewish tradition. She's one of five. And you've got Rahab and Tamar and Bathsheba and Mary and then Ruth. And so she's mentioned there. She's a great grandparent to King David. And here we go in this amazing story of Ruth, and you will now see the reality of real people making real decisions, just trying to figure out God, and then God uses that because in all things, Romans 8, 28, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, those called according to his purpose. And so what happens here is these people scrambling around, just trying to make things work, actually portray Christ. So as we read this, because... Okay, Ruth is like one of my favorite books in the Bible. My wife loves Hallmark. I don't know why. Every plot is the same. You got the CEO trying to save the farm, goes to some place that he, you know, is not in his normal place, and he finds some girl there. Or the girl's a CEO coming straight out of New York High Rise. She comes into Vermont. There's a farm breaking down. The guy working on the tractor meets her. They fall in love. She's got another boyfriend. He's always a jerk. He's a complete waste of time. Everybody knows it. And so, and so the plot, like I could, spoiler alert, the first guy she argues with in this movie is who she's going to marry at the end. Okay? And her boyfriend, he's out from the beginning. You've got those kind of things going on. I'm surprised Hallmark's never done Ruth. You've got those things going on in this. You know, you've got your CEO, the guy that owns all the, all the farm. He's there. And you've got Ruth, this Moabitess, a foreigner. She comes in, she shouldn't even be noticed, and he takes total notice of her. The story's awesome. It's so beautiful all by itself that it reads 
Beautiful. But the Easter eggs, no pun intended, that are all through it. You've seen these Easter eggs for Marvel movies and, and Easter eggs for Star Wars movies and little things that you didn't know were there, you know, and then they zoom in on them and say, oh, look at this thing that's going on in the background. That's going to tell you what happens in the next episode. Well, it's, we're closing on Easter, April 17th, and there's some Easter eggs here that I just want to bring out. All right, so we're going to read it. So first, Ruth 1. I used one slide last week, one, I think, one or two. We're using 24. So stay with me back there. Ruth 1, 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. Sounds normal enough. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. And the names of his sons were Malon and Kilian. Malon and Kilian, really. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Standard little intro. First, Bethlehem is the house of bread. That's its name. It's the house of bread. It's a pretty significant place, wouldn't you think, in Scripture? Jesus, the bread of life, comes down and touches earth right there. That's where he's born. Bethlehem, the bread of life in the house of bread. That's, that, that city's valuable. It's always been valuable. They, they even have priests that, that raise uh, sheep that are meant for sacrifice for sins there in Bethlehem. It was the absolute appropriate place for him to land. But they also are in the region of Judah. Judah means praise. Praise. So in this place of praise and, and the bread of God, manna from heaven, this guy and his family discover there's a famine. And usually in the time of the judges, over and over judges, it says there was no king, so they just lived as they saw fit. Israel had no king, so they just lived how they saw fit. They just did what they did. And they kept getting in trouble for it. They kept worshiping other gods. They kept, they kept getting punished for it. And then one of the groups that would come in would be the Moabites. Eglon, this big old fat king. And, you know, he's in Jericho, city of palms. And 18 years he's in charge. The Moabites were vicious enemies of Israel. Even the way it all gets started with Lot and his daughters and Ammon and Moab and incestuous relationship. And then these two people come up out of that that just hate Israel and they keep attacking Israel. Uh, you know, you even have Balaam trying to curse Israel because Balak's like, these guys curse them before they get to the promised land. Those are Moabites. The Moabites were enemies of Israel. So these guys, what's happening is he sees that he's where God is and he discovers there's a famine and he's like, well, I'm going to go live in the enemy territory then. I'm going to do a commercial break from the love story. Please be careful that when you're walking with God and you start to go through something very difficult and you feel like there's a famine in the land, you know, you've got the house of bread. You've, you've got the word of God right here. You've got the manna that you can access, and you're trying, but it feels like crispy pages and just dry, and you can't seem to get something from it. And you're reading over and over, and it just feels kind of dead to you, and it's like a famine. It's like, why can't I kind of access this? I mean, you must have had that happen to you. You must have had those periods where it just feels dry, and you're like, God, would you just speak to me? 
And something bad's happening. Sometimes your heart's not right, so you really can't hear. Sometimes you're just in a broken place, so you might hear, but it's not really repairing you yet because you've got to walk through something. And sometimes it's just dry. Sometimes God turns out the lights for a little while, so you'll reach for him. I used to put my child, Jessica, my first child, to bed at night because the nurse was like, don't you dare, like, change your life and stuff because you're brand new parents. You know, we're clicking lights off and trying to be all hushy, quiet. She walks in. She's playing a loud radio. She clicks all the lights on. She goes, do this because that child will never sleep the rest of its life if you don't get it adjusted to your lifestyle. So we did. We adjusted the child to our lifestyle, except my lifestyle was to go pick up the child in the middle of the night because that was the quiet time. That's when I could have her, and she was just mine. I just hold her. I loved it. There was no one else that wanted her, and I had her. But I had to kind of give that up because I needed to get her to sleep through the night. So I put her in her crib, walk out, close the door. She's wailing. She's crying. She doesn't like this. Lights are out. She's all by herself. I'm on the other side of the door crying and clawing at the door because I want to go pick her up. I mean, this this hurts. This is not easy for me either. She's like, well, then pick me up. (laughs) We both hate this. But after going to bed, waking up, going to bed, waking up, going to bed, waking up, the dark didn't scare her anymore. The time where she wasn't sitting in my lap and against my chest, she could still fall asleep because she trusted I was coming back in the morning. So sometimes there's a famine Because God's just getting you to reach a little harder, to trust a little more, to understand that, hey, I'm coming back. Morning by morning, I'm coming back. The inner man's renewed every day. So that's just a commercial break. Back to this. So we're in the land of Judah. It's praise. It's the house of bread. And Elimelech, whose name means my God is king. And Naomi, whose name means pleasant. It's a good name. My boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places but they didn't think so. Their children's names, Malon Killian. You know what those names mean? Sickness, malnourishment, malady, Malon, and Killian. <laughs> Killian. It means death. It means wasting. So they named their kids. You know, you're looking through the book, looking for some names. Oh, I like death and wasting. What do you think, Dad? Is that, is that some good ones we can choose? I, th- I think those are pretty names. Uh, you know, death, suffering, wasting. I was thinking depression, but let's go with death and suffering. So that's their names. What that means is right now, things aren't hunky-dory in Bethlehem. So they leave, but where they land is the enemy camp. And when they leave and go to the enemy camp, things don't go well. They never, ever do. Never leave the house of God for the enemy camp. Never leave to go hang out with the Moabites. It'll be attractive. That's how the Moabites attracted Israel in the first place when they were coming up to, to, to the promised land. They waylaid them with sending all their most beautiful young women over there to have sexual relations with the Israelite men. It was to to get them not to follow God, but to do something else. Satan will always try to tempt you towards Moab, but what's waiting for you in Moab is destruction. Now, Elimelech, verse 3, Naomi's husband died because they're in Moab now, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years, so a whole decade of this mess. But Malon and Killian also died. 
And Naomi was left with her two sons and her husband. Oh, that must be why Hallmark hasn't touched this. It's a little dark in the start. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. This is an awesome truth. If you are a Christian and you know the Lord and you understand his character in any way, shape, or fashion, that you understand that he loves his people. And so if you should have gone to Moab for a while and lived among the enemy and experienced some chaos and some death, then put your feet back in line of Judah and start praising him again. Put your feet back in line like she did with her daughters-in-law. She left the place where she'd been living and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of praise. That's what you do. You, tip, you put your feet back in the land of praise, and even if nothing in you feels like it, you just start worshiping him. You just start praising him, thanking him for anything you can think of. I'm alive today. Anything. I had a guy dealing with someone with depression. They got to, he said, if you can just thank God for 75 things, you'll survive. He said, we got down to the ketchup and the mustard. But she did walk out of that hospital. <laughs> but, you know, just anything. Just thank him. It's amazing what it does. Recounting his blessings. Verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And said to her, we'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who can become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait for them to grow up? Because that was the Israelite custom. The brother then carries on the name. Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It's, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand is turned against me. She's not the best evangelist in the world. You know, don't, don't come back with me. I'm going to praise God and go back, but you guys stay here. Um, and, and she says, uh, look, oh, at this they wept aloud again, verse 14. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I'll die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What a prophetic statement. Death won't separate us because we're going to be in the house of bread. We're going to be in the house of praise. I'm going where you go. I'm going where your God goes because your God's a real God. We've got Chemosh. Chemosh is worthless. He's one of the many gods. But Chemosh is a God that they would have all these crazy, super bad uh, worship styles that produce children, and they didn't want the children, so they'd kill the children in the fire and thump drums so you couldn't hear the kids crying. That's Chemosh. 
That's the land of Moab. Understand that this is not a game. This was a real enemy. And that's where Ruth came from. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, just a little side note, they come back into Bethlehem. They come back to the people of God. And boy, I hope we do this. They come back to the people of God. They've been in Moab. They've been living badly. They left the church. They left where God was. They left God's people. They go live among the enemy. A decade goes by. They come back into the house of God, and the church, whole, whole place is stirred up. You want to know why? Because it says in the scriptures that there's more rejoicing in heaven when one sinner repents than for 99 who didn't have to. And the people got a hold of it. They got a hold of it. And here comes this person all bedraggled, all sad, all bitter, but back. And they rejoice. Is this Naomi? It's Naomi. She's back. She's not ready for that. Don't call me Naomi. She told them, that's pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full. But the Lord's brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now you might be like, man, a little harsh on God. You were the one that left. Yeah, just keep, keep that in mind. But she's talking just like Job did, who God said was the most righteous person he had on the planet at the time. She's talking the exact same way. How could you do this to me, God? I didn't sin. It's the same kind of conversation. Haven't you had that one with God? When things aren't going well and you've been studying, reading, praying, praising, and things still fall apart in some way in your life, and so what you've got to do is just dig deeper and trust Him. He's doing something right. It's just you can't see it yet. He's panoramic in His view, and you can see that much. He knows what He's doing. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied, Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, meaning famine's over. Chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. By the way, enter the kinsman redeemer. All the way through this, keep in mind, this is a type of Christ. All the way through Ruth. Keep in mind, this is, he is called the Redeemer. This is a type of Christ. This is a reality to explain that parable. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the fields, pick up the leftover grain behind anyone who, in whose eyes I find favor. And so Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. We're starving, so yeah, that'd be great. Uh, so she went out, entered the field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. Gleaning is frustrating. Gleaning is looking for bottles to cash them in for five cents a piece to get a sandwich. That's gleaning. Gleaning is, you know, round up your coins because we're going to send it to this person. Gleaning is you're getting a little bit of something, but at least, at least you survive that way. So she went out, and she entered a field, a random field, and she began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, 
She was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. She randomly just picks a field, uh, eeny, meeny, miny, that one, and starts gleaning, and it's Boaz, a kinsman redeemer of their family. She didn't know whose it was. Naomi didn't tell her. Naomi doesn't even find out until later who this guy is. She just picks a field because God was like over here. That's how this works. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. He's a loved guy. You know, Boaz is loved. He's a good boss. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? <laughs> I mean, he just arrives. Hey, how's everybody doing? Who is that? You know, like instantly sees Ruth, instantly recognizes her. But the thing that's just so striking is there could be someone who this day walked into church and you're like, I don't even know if I'm supposed to be here. I'm just like a, I'm a foreigner to all this. Doesn't make much sense to me. I'm just sneaking and sitting in the back. Don't think if you're in the back that, that I'm talking about you specifically. I might be, though. And she sneaks in, just quietly just slinks into a seat, you know, in the worship. I don't quite get what's going on. I just felt like God, you know, dragged me here. And God instantly notices. God walks in. Oh, here's all my people. Whoa, hey, they came. <laughs> you know, they're here. The one, I was, the one I was hoping would be here is here. God sees it instantly. You think you walked in on the radar, but God did not miss it. He did not miss it, and neither did Boaz. The type of Christ in our story instantly recognizes that someone new is in the field. And they're just starting off like this, a little bit here, a little bit there. I don't go, oh, that, that song kind of mattered to me. I don't really know what that means. A little bit of gleaning, a little bit of this. Someone hugged him. Someone said something nice to him. Boy, that felt nice. I think I'll go back. Uh, just a little bit. Heard something in the Word that struck, struck them, stuck, stuck out to them. They come back maybe a month later and try it again. It starts to work again. They're gleaning. They get a couple bottles to turn in towards some redemption. And it won't take long before, before stocks are being pulled out because God's going to make sure that happens. Stocks. Because the next thing he does, Boaz does, is say, hey, pull out stocks for her. Pull out stocks. And when she's coming by, she can pick up the whole stock and she'll go home with 30 pounds. She should be going home with 30 ounces. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvester, this is verse 5, who does that young woman belong to? And the overseer replied, well, she's the Moabite who came back from Moab, the enemy territory, with Naomi. And she said, please, let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field, and she remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter. Whew. Not, what are you doing in my field? You're a Moabite. What are you doing in my church? You obviously don't belong. What are you doing here? No, it's my daughter. This type of Christ sees the foreigner gleaning and goes, my daughter, I am so glad you're here. Listen to me. Don't go. This is so important. Do, if you are that person, don't go and glean in another field. That's the next line. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after the women. Do what they're doing. Draw closer to your God. 
I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars that the men have filled. This is so spiritual. Whenever you're thirsty, go drink some living water. Get some more. Get some more. Keep gleaning. Keep gathering. Keep harvesting. Stay with the women who are gathering. See what they're doing. How are they gathering? How are they getting more than you? Find out. Do what they're doing. Watch the field where the men are harvesting. Follow along after those women that you see they're doing what you're doing, but doing it better. Find out what's happening. How are they getting this access to a bigger load than you? Now, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground, and she asked him, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you'd notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told about all that you've done since your mother-in-law, for your mother-in-law, since the death of your husband, how you left your father and your mother and your homeland, and you came to live with a people you didn't even know. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't even have the standing of one of your servants. By the way, people, when someone new walks into this church, that should be what we do. Put them at ease. Let them feel like they're welcome. That's what was done for me. Thank you. Let them, let them feel like, hey, you belong here. We're so glad you're here. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, come over here. Have some bread and dip it in the wine. Still sound like something that Jesus would do. Bread of life, wine, the blood, some wine. Beer. He, you come have a meal with me. When she sat down with the harvesters, he offered her some roasted grain. She ate all she wanted, had some left over. She got up to glean. Boaz gave orders to his men, let her gather among the sheaves. Don't reprimand her. Even pull out stalks for her from the bundles and leave them for her to pick up. Don't rebuke her. That's our God. I've been gleaning. I've been gleaning. Stock. I'm gleaning, gleaning. Stock. It's got all the stuff on it. You, did, you, did you drop that? Like you're worried. Should I, can I, am I allowed to? Can I take this? Like, you know, don't reprimand her. Let her have it. If this was corn, it's got like four ears on it. I thought I just got the little kernels. And you get the whole thing. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening, and she threshed the barley she'd gathered and amounted to about an ephah, which is 30 pounds. She carries it back to town like two bowling balls. And her mother-in-law saw how much she'd gathered. Ruth also brought out what she'd been given and had left over when she'd eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? <laughs> this doesn't happen. <laughs> Where did you go that you came back with this much? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one whose place she'd been working at. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He hasn't stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man's our close relative. Here it is. He's one of our guardian redeemers. And the name, the name is so perfect for Christ. A guardian redeemer. It protects you, redeems you. Then Ruth and Moab, the Moabite said, he even said to me, 
stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all the grain. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him because in someone else's field you might be harmed. By the way, that's the second time that's been said. Boaz said it to her and Naomi said it to her. They're giving her directions. Don't go glean in another field. Don't try to find what you could find from God somewhere else. Don't do that because you're not going to get something that really satisfies your soul somewhere else. You definitely won't get it from Netflix. You're not going to find what you're looking for anywhere outside of Jesus Christ. You're not going to find it. Don't glean in another field. So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvest were finished and she lived with her mother-in-law. Chapter 3. Stand right with me. Oh, there we go. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. Now, Boaz, with whose woman you've worked, is a relative of ours, though tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume. Here's the hallmark moment. She's going to meet the CEO. This is that time. This is where it happens. Here's, here's where the magic happens. So wash, put on perfume, get dressed in your best clothes, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he'll tell you what to do. Okay, just a side note. In the real world that we live in, this is horrible advice. Please don't tell your daughter to do this. Don't tell your friend to do this. Go down to the bar. When he's done drinking and really in good spirits, wait till he falls asleep, pull his shoes off, and ask him what to do next. You're like, this is just like the worst possible scenario. It should not be really happening, but there's something unbelievable here. There's something so striking, and I'm almost there, so just stay right with me. I had to read up through it, or I had to cover this ground, or you wouldn't see it. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He'll tell you what to do. I'll do whatever you say, Ruth answered, like, this sounds pretty weird. We don't do this in Moab, and we're messed up. (laughs) So she went down to the threshing floor. And she did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking, was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and she lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. I personally think Ruth got tired of waiting and just went, pang! You know, just pretend I'm asleep. Maybe wake him up. And he turned, and there's a woman lying at his feet. But it's dark. He said, who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you're a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You haven't run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I'm going to do all for you that you ask. All the people of my town know you're a woman of noble character. Although it's true, I'm a guardian redeemer of our family. There is another one who's more closely related than I. So stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Lie here till morning. 
So she laid his feet till morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, hey, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. So he also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. And when she did, he poured into six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. And then he went back to town. And Ruth came to her mother-in-law. Naomi asked, how'd it go, my daughter? And she told everything that Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley. Like I thought the 30 pounds was something, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. By this way, this is what Jesus does all the time. He blessed one person, but not just to bless that one person. He pours six measures into your life, then go share it with your mother-in-law. He pours six measures into your life, go share it with a family member. He pours six measures into your life, go spread those, spread the wealth. If God's pouring something into you, it's not just for you. It's for everybody. It's for everyone around you. We are kingdom of priests. We're stones being built into a living temple of God. We have, the, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside us. If you've accepted Christ, that is what you have. Share it in any way you can think to do it. When Naomi said, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. <laughs> I just think that's funny. <laughs> you know, he's, he's like, oh my gosh. I noticed her immediately, and she noticed me. I can't believe this. This will be done today. Uh, last chapter. When, okay, whoa. Meanwhile, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate, and he sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. And Boaz said, come over here, my friend, sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. And then he, to the garden redeemer, he said, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you'll redeem it, do so. If you won't, Tell me, so I'll know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I'm next in line. I'll redeem it, he said. Now, I want you to pay attention to something. Scripture's super clear that it says there's a good shepherd. There's lots of shepherds, but there's a good shepherd. And the good shepherd will lay his life down for the sheep. A bad shepherd will run when the wolf comes. A bad shepherd won't do what David did and go after the lion to get the sheep back. A bad shepherd won't go after the bear to sling it down and bring the sheep back. It won't. A bad shepherd, if it endangers him, he's out. A good shepherd lays his own life down. Then Boaz said, okay, you'll redeem it. Good, you get the land. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, ooh, then no. I cannot redeem it because it might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I can't do it. Bad shepherd. You redeem it. Uh, that endangers me. I have no interest. I got my own stuff going on, and Ruth brings too much trouble. No thanks. Now, in earlier times in Israel... And this is, this is even in my Bible, it's in parentheses. Like, um, side note. But this is the whole point. 
Don't miss this. This is why I've been reading three chapters to you. I don't like to do that normally, but we had to get there. Look, now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And that was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the people of God made a deal that was binding by taking off their sandal and giving it to the other person. Okay? That's the deal. Weird. We sign on a dotted line. They give a sandal. But think. This is how the people of God... This is, this is God's design for legalizing transactions, spiritual transactions. Moses, he's just tending sheep, and he gets distracted by this burning bush, and the flames are going, but the bush won't be consumed, so he's, so he's interested. So he goes up and sees. And then, the vo- then a voice comes out. It's God. Hey, hey, come closer, come closer. Wait! Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. So Moses goes like this. A deal was just struck. You are going to take my people out of Israel. A deal was just struck. Boom, boom. Then the conversation. Enter God. Joshua was going in, and he sees Jericho, and he's like, whoa, that's pretty, that's pretty intimidating. And then he sees something much more intimidating, this, this holy angel with a sword, and the sword's flaming, the guy's glowing. He's like, oh, my gosh, are you for me or against me? He's like, neither. Well, that's, I don't know how to feel about that. <laughs> I'm kind of hoping you were for me, but at least you're not against me. And, and, and he bows down. The angel does not have him get up because it's not an angel. This is Jesus. And he says, hey, Joshua, take off your sandals. Before you enter the holy land, the promised land, before you do what I've called you to do, take off your sandals. A deal was struck. Now you're going to easily defeat 33 kings and everything that's in the promised land that is keeping you out, you're going to be the juggernaut that blows it all away. I'm going to use you in a mighty way. I'm making a deal. It's a transaction. Jesus with his disciples it's the Last Supper. They step in, and, and, and they come in, and he starts taking their shoes off. He's taking their sandals off. He's washing their feet. He's taking their sandals off. Here's you, Peter. Here's you, John. Here's you, sandals, sandals, sandals. You will be 12 that will sit on thrones judging the nations. You're 12 that I'm going to send out. You're 11 because one of you is going to screw up big time. But you're 11, and they're going to add one more, and you'll be 12 again. I'm making a deal with you. I'm making a transaction. The sandals come off. John the Baptist, the very last awesome Levite, before Jesus goes to the cross, he says, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. I'm not even worthy of this deal that he's offering. He's he's the Lamb of God. He's going to die as the perfect substitute for our sins. He's the Lamb of God, everyone. I, I'm not willing. I'm not even worthy. I, how could this happen? But Ruth hears, take his shoes off. She walks right up and just goes, Duh. she takes the guy. He's sleeping. Can this deal work? Is this binding? Sneak up. You know what? Jesus 
our guardian redeemer allows us to strike the deal. He allows us to remove the sandal. He's already done it. The work is finished. He's at the cross. He's already died on the cross for your sins. Everything that was Doug Dodge did this. Doug Dodge did that. Doug Dodge did this. I can't go to heaven. He scratched out my name. He scratched out my name. He scratched out my name. He said, Jesus Christ did this. Jesus Christ did this. Jesus Christ did that. I'll go to hell in your stead. I'll die for you. And then I'll come back because I can't die because I'm God and I don't even know how to die. I'll come back, and it'll all be removed, all your sin gone. I wore it like it was mine. I trade your pile of garbage for my righteousness. Now, you can stand in the kingdom, too, because every time God sees you, he sees me. But do you want it? Do you want it? Because if you don't want it, don't pull the sandal. But if you want to live forever, and you want to be free from guilt and brokenness and sin and suffering, then pull the sandal. He gives it to us to do. He gave it to Ruth to do. She sneaks up, pulls it, and he wakes up. Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? Oh, it's you? Oh, I love you. Here's my, here's my garment. I'll spread it over you. My garment of protection, Ruth, you're in. Great job. You pulled the sandal. You pulled the sandal. You accepted me. I'm so happy you accepted me. You'll be with me forever. You're now in the lineage of Jesus Christ. That's not it. That's not all of it. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you've witnessed that I bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today your witnesses. Today your witnesses, people. Jesus Christ has purchased all the land of Malon and Killian, all the land of death and suffering. He's purchased it. He owns it now. You know what he replaces it with? Boaz, strength. He replaces it with his strength. So now all that land of, of suffering, it's still there. Boom. It's now strength. It's now eternal life. It's now freedom. It's now the blood of Christ over your sins. You get to live forever because you invited him in. That's the truth of this chapter. I want everyone to be witnesses, Boaz is saying, of what I've done. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, the people are saying, may your family be like Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, and then finally, it ends like this, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. He, she is the bride of Christ. She took the sandal. She's in, just like we can. And when, and when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Oh, he will. <laughs> oh, he will. We're leading up to King David. Listen, if you're like, this Jesus, I hear about him, I hear about him. I don't know what that means. It's this simple. All Ruth did was sneak in there and pull the sandal. 
That's all you have to do. You just say, Jesus, I'm sick of death and suffering. I've experienced enough in the land of Moab. I just, I just want your freedom. I want to live the way you want me to live. I want your people to be my people. I want to be in such a way that death cannot separate me from you. That's what I want. I pull the sandal, seal the deal. That's it. There's no magic words. Just invite him in. To the Christian, if you know you have that privilege, if you know you've pulled the sandal and you don't have that sin and death, why are you living in guilt? Why are you living in the past? Why are you living in the broken mistakes that you made when you were a man half dead? You're a new creation. You don't have to live there anymore. You don't have to live there anymore. You're not in Moab anymore. You're now, you're now married to the one that has all the power. You're now eternal. We have reason to live in Judah. Praise. Amen. If we could finish with a word of prayer, that would be amazing. Lord Jesus, you are stunning in your grace. And the way you plant your secrets and, and, your, and your, your mother load in the scripture, and we just got to dig a little bit to find it. It's all over it. There's so much we didn't even mention. You, there's so much here in your word, God. And Jesus, you are the word, the word made flesh, the word brought to life. It's you. You're one with your word. So we love you and we praise you for your eternal life and your wonder and your grace and your mercy. And we praise you that even when you take us to times of famine and you turn off the lights for a little while, the only intent is to make us stronger. The only intent is to make us to make it to morning so we can trust that you're going to come and we get stronger. Father, please speak to the hearts of your people. Remind us who we are in you and then use us so we share our six measures with the world around us. In the name of Jesus, amen.